The Marquis Diodas had been riding hard all day. He was returning to the spire from his estates far to the north. With him was only one man, his bodyguard named Wot. The two of them had finally reached the spire just as the sun was setting, and they were at the base in its long shadow. Wot saddled their horses at the Marquis' private stables just outside the entrance to the spire, and he started walking towards the gates that led into the middle market. Adas put a hand on Wot's shoulder. I'm afraid, my dear Wot, we don't have time for the elevator today. Oh, said Wot, grimacing. Adas led him around to the back of the stable, where there was a hot air balloon waiting. Oh, come, my dear Wot, you don't enjoy these little trips? I assure you, this is very safe, my own design. Oh, I, uh, of course, of course it's safe, yes, no problem at all. Wot grabbed the sides of the wicker basket they stepped into and clung on for dear life. Well, here we go, said the Marquis with a grin, cutting the rope. The balloon shot into the air. Upward it went, faster and faster. The Marquis's face was fixed with a grin as he stared up. Wot, on the other hand, stared down towards the ground as it shrank beneath them, shivering. Soon, the sounds and certainly the smell of Horsetown was lost below them. The buildings looked like tiny toys, the trees were minuscule, the people shrunk to the sides of ants and then disappeared entirely. In a moment, they hit a cloud and suddenly were enveloped in dark clinging mist. And the Marquis turned to Wot. My dear Wot, I've been meaning to have a little chat with you, and I do believe this is the perfect setting. Uh, said Wot, growing even paler still. Of, of course, what, uh, what do you wish to talk about? Adas put a hand on Wot's shoulder gently. Wot leaned up against the edge of the basket. He froze and gripped the edge even tighter. At that moment, they broke through the top of the cloud. Wot took a deep breath and looked down, and the cloud looked almost like another landscape before them with its own valleys and peaks, of course made out of mist lit by the moonlight. And the spire, right beside them, kept rising. He looked up for a moment and immediately regretted it. It still stretched on almost inconceivably higher and higher into the sky. With one push, the Marquis could send him careening back down through that cloud. Do I have your attention, my dear Wot? Yes, yes, my lord, of course, of course. Well, your, should I say, performance lately has left a great deal to be desired. You still have not secured for me those two who stole my property, nor have you been able to secure any of the texts that I require for my little project. I, I, I'm very, very sorry about that, said Wot. I'm, uh, I've, I've looked high and low for those two. I, I know that they're working for the provost, but I, uh, spare me your excuses, said the Marquis icily. I have taken the necessary steps to, oh, get us at least an audience with those two miscreants. I've arranged an invitation that I don't think the two of them will be able to refuse. And you will be there to give it to them. Won't you, my dear Wot? Yes, I, yes, of course, said Wot. The Marquis took his hand off of Wot's shoulder and took a step back. 
I'm glad that we're in agreement. Ah, said the Marquis, glancing upward. We've almost arrived. And he pulled a cord. Air started to whoosh out of the hot air balloon, and its ascent slowed until it was barely rising at all. It gently grew level with a balcony. The Marquis reached out, grabbed the balcony, and pulled them towards it. Well, this is our stop. I'm getting off here. Are you staying on? Oh, no, said Woe. No, no, no. He grabbed the balcony for dear life and clawed his way out of the hot air balloon. The Marquis stepped onto the balcony with grace and poise and let the balloon float away into the sky. Welcome to Spire, a world built one story at a time. I am Aaron Goldbeck. Meanwhile, in a different part of the Spire, the provost, Ulrich of the Collegium, was just sitting down to his dinner. He had gone upstairs to the refractory in the Collegium and got a piping hot bowl of stew and walked back down to his office. He had some very interesting scrolls that he was much looking forward to interpreting, translating, and expounding upon. And just as he sat down at his desk with the stew in front of him and his scrolls, Gent and Vippo burst into his office. All right, said Gent, we've got it, we've got it, we got out of the archive. And uh, we're, you know, and we're fine. Not that you were worried or anything. We're totally, everything was, it went really well. That's not true at all, said Vippo. We, I got chased by some sort of shadow monster, and then we met an old man who might have very well been Ghent, but in the future. Wait, that's what you got at? Really? No, that wasn't me. What are you talking about? That's impossible. I thought that was pretty clearly implied, but okay, sure. If you're not on my level with that, that's fine. Here's your stupid book. She said, taking it out of Ghent's hands and putting it on Ulrich's desk, almost upsetting his bowl of stew. Well, well I'm glad you found this little one, this uh, little number for me. Uh, well, uh, we'll just add it to the pile then. Uh, that's it, said Ghent. That's we risked our lives and you're just adding it to the pile? Well, yes, said Ulrich. It's dangerous research. That's what you're paid for. And I like to think you're paid quite well. Yeah, said Vippo. Speaking of which... Ahem. Oh, very well, said Ulrich. Reaching into his desk, he pulled out a leather pouch of gold coins. Here's for this one. Gent and Vippo both looked at the pouch and looked at each other, and they both reached their hands out at the same time. Vippo reached it first, of course. Are you gonna, um, are you gonna, are we gonna split that now, or are we gonna split that, um, you're gonna give me half, right? Yeah, I'm gonna give you half, said Vippo. I'll just, in a minute... Now, I just want to say, she said, turning to Ulrich, you got to give us more information about the situation we're getting ourselves into. We were unprepared. Well, said Ulrich, I assume that Ghent would have warned you about how the archive can be a little confusing for people. Well, just give us something a little more straightforward this time, said Vippo. You know, something we're not running around in the dark. All right, said Ulrich. I think I can do that. Word just reached me that a uh, rather... 
elderly alum of the Collegium has recently passed away. In fact, it happened just earlier today, believe it or not. We received word that in their will, this uh, elderly humorist had left uh, a book that we'd be most interested in, uh, in obtaining. Unfortunately, there is some question at this moment as to where the text is. It seems like his library was not very well organized. If you two could go up there and talk some sense into this uh, dearly departed sage's apprentices and secure this text, return it to me, I think that should be rather a walk in the park for the two of you. Wouldn't you agree? Um, said Gent, yeah, I, I guess we can handle that. Very well. Run along, you're doing great work. We're all very proud of you here. Out you go. Leave me to my dinner. Goodbye. Ulrich stood up from his desk and ushered them out of the room and closed the door firmly behind them. So, said Vippo, how do you think that we're going to get dicked over this time? I, well, I, I don't know what you mean, said Ghent. You're just way too trusting. You really think it's going to be that easy? I mean, has anything that Ulrich has thrown at us been easy? I just feel like our luck might be running out soon. They walked out through the great oak doors of the Collegium and made their way to the main bank of elevators. When the operator saw them coming, he tried to close the door. Vippo rushed ahead and stuck her arm so that the grate couldn't close all the way. Not you two again, said the elevator operator. Come on, we're all set up with Maxine. We can pay. It's no problem. You gotta let us on. Fine, said the operator, opening the door crack. But no more trouble from you two. I've had enough. All right, said Vippo. We're going to floor 120, um, I think. Right, Vippo? Yeah, 120. You must be joking, said the man from the guild. Dressed like that? 120? They'll throw you out of the spire. I, ooh, really? Oh, I hope not, because we would, that would surely kill us to fall that far. We're going on collegium business, said Vippo. They'll let us go. It'll be fine. Getting Vippo stepped off the elevator at the 120th floor. It was one of the last floors that was accessible to the general public, and were immediately taken aback by how different it was from the rest of the spire. The spire, they knew, was a stark utilitarian place, always crowded with people coming and going, everyone jammed together about as close as could be accommodated. Here, there was light. There were tapestries hanging on the wall. There was rugs rolled down the floor. The whole place was comfortable. And because the spire narrowed, as it rose towards the sky, it seemed a bit smaller than the floors they were used to traversing. Now, they had been to the upper market before, which was also quite nice, but this was a quiet residential floor, and it was not quite like any place either of them had seen. In fact, one thing that stood out immediately were the guards posted at the elevator, at the stairs. They counted four, five, six of them on that floor alone. Well, said Vippo, I feel, um, very safe up here. Don't you feel safe? I, uh, yeah, said Ghent. I could just lie down and, and take a nap here on the rug. 
Um, the rug looks nicer than my bed, to be honest, so um, I might be tempted later. Yeah, don't, don't do that. We got a job to do. Come on. They reached the door, their destination. It was a handsome door made out of spire stuff, but inlaid with other materials, gold and jewels and so forth. Ghent took a moment to appreciate the artistry, the craftwork that went into this. This must have um, taken the quiet folk, I, I mean, months to, to, with this level of detail. Yeah, 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 said Vippo. It's very nice, I'm sure. She banged on the door. Slowly it opened, and a lean, pale face peered out. Hello, said the voice. Are you the two from the Collegium? Um, yeah, said Ghent, that's us. Uh, Department of Rare Tech's uh, Research and Acquisitions. Um, so we hear that there's a, uh, a book here um, that's been, um, you know, misplaced, uh, perhaps. Please come in, said the pale man. My name is Tremont, and um, my, uh, my fellow apprentice uh, here is Anders, he said, opening the door wide and gesturing inside. There's another younger man there, shifting nervously in a chair. The room stretched very far until it reached a beautiful stained glass set of doors that led out into a balcony. The whole room was filled with sunlight. There were small plants potted growing throughout the space, and several rooms appeared to branch off on either side. The doors were carved out of spire stuff and inlaid with other precious metals and materials, and they could smell good things wafting from a kitchen somewhere in the back. They sunk nearly ankle-deep into the plush rug that was rolled across the hard spire surface of the floor. I, I, I propose that we split up, said Tremont. How about... Uh, you, sir, um, as a humorist, uh, you assist us in searching the lab so uh, as we uh, don't disturb anything dangerous in there, and um, your associate here um, can look in the library. How does that sound? All right, said Vippo, sure, I, I can do that, yeah. Uh, which way's the library? Uh, just just through there, said Tremont. Just, just um, 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 through, through that door. Damn, said Vippo, elbowing Gant. They talk like you, like they can't make up their mind about anything. It's weird. I, I don't know what you're talking about, said Gent. I don't sound anything like them. That's sh quiet. Great, said Gent. That's great. Um, I will, sure, show me to the laboratory, the two of you. And we'll uh, carefully you know, look for this book uh, together. Lead on. Um, said Tremont, yes. Uh, so uh, the library um, is the uh, second door down on the right. Um, and, and if you, sir, will come with me, uh, the, um, the laboratory is, is just through here, he said, reaching towards a door on the left side of the hallway. Tremont opened the door to the lab. Ghent followed him in. Anders, who had, at this point, still not said a word, walked in behind. They closed the door. This room was a bit dimmer. There was a window set high up on the wall, and there was a single beam of sunlight coming down to the ground. It was dusty, as if it had been undisturbed for quite some time. And every surface was indeed littered with beakers, test tubes, books, and scrolls, but all of them under a layer of dust. Well, said Gent, it looks like um, your master hadn't really uh, been in the lab too much recently. Uh, he picked up a scroll and blew on it, causing a cloud of dust to build to the floor. Um, said Tremont, yes, uh, he was um, uh, sick for quite a while. 
Um, I, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to put that scroll down, sir. Oh, so again, oh yeah, sure, okay, sorry. Um, so we're looking for a book called the Hermetica. So um, where do you think it would be in here? Tremont took a step forward. There's no book in here. Uh, okay, so again, sh great. So the library then? There's no book in the library either, said Tremont. Ghent took a step back. Okay, why don't you tell me what's going on? You're going to come with us quietly, said Tremont. Oh, said Ghent, yeah. Well, uh, who, who am I going to go see if I go with you? I'm afraid we can't say, said Tremont. Just then a huge crash echoed through the apartment. Tremont and Anders looked towards the door. Ghent took this opportunity to grab the closest beaker he could find on the workbench in the laboratory. It appeared to be full of dried blood. He glanced at it. Uh, sorry about this, guys, but um, I, I think I'm going to decline your offer. And he underhand threw the vial of coagulated, dried-up blood at the two of them. They blinked, watching it soar through the air, landed at their feet, and it rolled to a stop. Yeah, said Gen. I didn't think so. You don't remember. The sanguine humors in blood are very close to the humors in fire. And at that, the vial exploded in a huge cloud of flame. And, said Gent, I'm close enough to that fireplace in the foyer that that wasn't too hard. The two apprentices got up, singed the hair on fire, and came towards Gent, hands outstretched. Two can play at that game, said Trement, grabbing a pitcher of water. With one hand, he reached into the flames. The other, he flung the water towards Gent. Immediately, it boiled in midair and billowed into steam, a scalding cloud rushing towards Gent's face. Gent staggered backward away from the burning cloud of steam. With one hand, he shielded his eyes. The other, he pointed towards the flame. And he spoke to the steam, pulled the heat that had just been forced into it back out. It went through his body like a shock out through his hand, back into the flame. The flame flared up twice as big as before, and the water, which was a steam a moment ago, now was turned into a cloud of snow. It blew across the room, blinding Ghent, and he hoped Trement and Anders as well. Ghent heard a scream as Anders, the apprentice who'd been silent up till now, had blindly blundered into the huge patch of open fire on the floor, snow in his eyes, and now, on fire, he was rolling on the ground, trying to put it out. Trement snarled again and continued to press Ghent forward into the corner of the room. Ghent could see Trement advancing through the billowing cloud of smoke and snow that was suddenly engulfing the lab. And Ghent reached out and talked to the fire, which was consuming Anders' robes, and he tried to redirect it into the sanguine humors within Trement. He tried to not just increase the amount of blood, but to heat the blood inside his body. He was trying to boil him alive from the inside out. And Ghent found that he couldn't, that he was being blocked. Trement was pushing back. Yes, of course, he had such a closer connection to his own sanguine humors, his own body. Ghent could not overcome his defenses. He was an apprentice, but he had at least mastered this much of the humorous arts. 
However, it was taking all of Tremont's will and energy and focus to keep Ghent at bay. He had stopped his advance. He was standing in the middle of the room, just struggling to keep himself from being cooked alive. Ghent could see that the fire in the room was going out quickly. All of the energy was being consumed. It was pouring into Tremont, who was keeping it at bay. And in a moment, all of that energy was going to have to go somewhere. Ghent desperately looked around the workbench. If Tremont won this little War of the Wills, if he beat Ghent as he was sure to do, all of that energy would be his to send back at Ghent. Ghent's fingers wrapped around another vial on the crowded workbench. He picked it up, he looked at it, there was something in it black, Icarus. It was unlabeled, so Ghent was taking a terrible gamble. If his guess was wrong, he was as good as dead. But he gave it his best shot. And suddenly, switched all of the energy from the fire, everything that he was pouring into Tremont to try and turn his sanguine humors against him, he directed into the vial in his own hands, throwing it in Tremont's face. It broke on his skin, and that black liquid seemed to seep into Tremont, absorb into his flesh. And Tremont took another step forward, wiping it from his eyes and his skin, and then stopped. And a placid, blank look came across his face. And he stood there in the smoke and the snow, and was billowing throughout the lab, doing nothing. Ghent took a deep breath. Whoa, said Ghent. Wow. See, that is the difference between a humorist and an apprentice. That wasn't just luck. That, my friend, was black bile. You'll probably be better in a few days, but I think until then you're going to suffer like a serious lack of ambition. Wow, that was a workout. I haven't done anything like that in a long time. I thought it was kind of, you know, that was kind of fun, right? Ghent looked down at Anders, who was whimpering on the floor, badly burned. Feeling pretty good about himself, Ghent pushed open the door back into the foyer, and there was Wote. A moment before, Vippo had walked into the library. It was pitch dark. She stumbled her way across to where she could see a small shaft of light coming from a window. There was a heavy curtain obscuring it. She pushed the curtain back and turned around to survey the room. And she was looking into the face of four burly men and women. Are you going to come quietly? said one of them, face covered in scars. Vippo looked at each of them didn't recognize them. I knew this wasn't going to be easy, Vippo muttered. A burly man rushed at her. She ducked low and picked up a chair. That was probably someone's comfortable reading chair by a cold fireplace. She flung it at the man's head and he went down in a pile of splinters and aged leather. From the shadows, a lithe young woman dove at her with a knife out. She slashed at Vippo and caught her on the shoulder. Ow, said Vippo. She pushed the woman into a bookshelf, which teetered like it was going to fall. So Vippo reached over the woman's head and pulled the shelf down, crushing the younger woman beneath it. She pulled her sword from her scabbard. Another man rushed at her, this one with a club. Vippo blocked it with her sword. He brought the club up above his head. She blocked again, this time her sword splitting the wooden club in two. She kicked him in the face, pushing him back into another man behind him. Vippo watched disdainfully as the two men picked themselves up. So, who sent you bunch of losers? I mean, this is just depressing. Four of you and one of me, and this is the best you can do? 
At that moment, the curtain from the window came down over her head. The man she'd thrown the chair at had gotten up, grabbed it, and was using it now to try and strangle her. She elbowed him viciously in the ribs, once, twice, a third time until she heard something crack. He grunted and his grip on the curtain loosened. She could breathe again. She took this moment to reach back, to grab the back of his shirt and his collar in both hands, and she flipped him over her head and landed on the floor with a thud. Bunch of amateurs. She went over to the bookshelf and hoisted it off of the young lady underneath it who was groaning and clawing her way forward. You gonna be okay? Vippo said. The young lady spit at Vippo's feet. Glad to hear it, said Vippo and put the bookshelf back down on top of her. Well, give my regards to whoever the hell sent you. She walked out of the library back into the foyer. Hey, Gant, it was a trap, believe it or not. She looked across the hallway. Wote was holding Gent. His right hand had a wickedly carved blade held up to Gent's jugglier vein. Um, said Gent, hey, so, um, look who I ran into. Shut up, said Wote. You're just gonna come with me now, all right? Where Adas is waiting. Gent stepped out into the hallway first, and he eyed the guards he had noticed earlier coming off the elevator. There were still four of them there, standing at attention in different parts of the hallway, guarding different doors and staircases that were branching off. Um, said Gent, hey guys, uh, I, I think I'm being um, kidnapped right now. None of the guards made eye contact with him. That's not going to do you any good. Adas owns this city, said Wote, glaring at Gent and Vippo. The sooner you understand that, the better for all of us. The three of them walked for a few minutes in silence, down the hallway, up a flight of stairs, twisting and turning a bit through another hallway, until finally they reached what appeared to be a door, a curving door, made out of spire stuff but inlaid with gold. Wote reached into his tunic, he pulled out a key, and he put it into the door, and he turned it. It opened into a tiny room, no bigger than... Hey, wait a second, said Vippo. Is this an elevator? This is a private elevator. One of only a handful in the spire. Now get the hell in. All right, all right, said Vippo. Her and Gent were herded in by Wote, who closed the door behind them and flipped a switch. They rode up a few stories, and the elevator slid silently to a halt. The door opened again, and they were in the most opulent, decadent room either Gent or Vippo had ever seen. The carpet appeared to be mossy and deep, their feet sunk into it, and then they realized it actually was moss, growing living moss, which ran for the whole length of the floor all the way to the floor-to-ceiling windows. The ceilings, of course, 20, 30 feet up, hung with chandeliers that had shimmering candles in them. On one side of the room, there was a waterfall, filling the room with the sound of water tinkling over stones. And off to one side, it looked like there was a deer grazing. Out of the shadows came a man decked in beautiful silks and furs. Welcome to my uh, little penthouse here, said the Marquis. Thank you, my dear Wote, for bringing our guests so quickly. I hope they were not any trouble. 
None at all, sir, said Woat. Very good, said the Marquis. Very good. You may stay here, Woat. I'll uh, speak with them in private in my office. And they walked across the plush moss floor until they reached a door set into the wall. They pushed it open and stepped out into nothing. Get and Vippo gaped through the doorway. They were looking out over stars. The moon hung overhead. Clouds were far below them. They could see the spire curving away on the left and right. Adas took a step, looking like he was going to plunge to his death a mile below. But his foot found some purchase, and he walked out onto seemingly thin air a few feet ahead. And, whoa, there was a desk there a few feet ahead, hanging suspended in midair, as if by nothing. Gittin' Vippo gaped through the open door. Well, come on, don't just stand there, said Adas. Come in. I assure you, it's perfectly safe. He wrapped his heel on the ground. This glass is almost a foot thick. Nothing's going to fall through. Now, come. You're going to catch a fly with your mouths open like that. And Gent shut his mouth and swallowed. I, um, I've got kind of, I've got like uh, a heights thing. Um, so I, you know, I'm just, uh, I, I prefer to maybe stay inside, um, you know, the building. Well, that's no way to do business, said Adas. He opened the drawer of one of his desks and drew out a bottle and a couple of glasses. Please, over here, in indulge me in this. I'd be a terrible host if I didn't show off my little, um, oh, how would you say, my little projects here in my house. Vippo took a step forward onto the glass floor. All right. That's the spirit, said Adas. Where's your sense of adventure, he said, looking again. Come on, everyone's doing it. All right, said Ghent. This is, ugh. If I get sick, though, don't don't blame me. And he shuffled forward onto the smooth glass floor of the room and took painstakingly small steps until they reached the other side of the desk. There were two chairs on the other side. Ghent and Vippo sat, and Das sat facing out, away from the spire itself, looking out over the endless night sky. Gent and Vippo looked at him back towards the warm, open door that led into the spire and the Adas estate. He poured a golden liquid into their glasses and a little more into his own, pushed them towards them. I would like to begin, said Adas, with an apology. I have been truly neglectful. I know you, he said, looking at Vippo, are a newcomer to our little city here. And you, he said, looking towards Gent, have been here for quite some time, and yet I've never invited you over, even when we've been in the same line of work when we have so much in common. Gent looked down at the liquid in his glass and smelled it and put it back on the desk. Oh, please, said Adas, taking a drink. If I was going to poison you, I would have done it in your stupid collegium's refractory. Wouldn't be hard, you know. I don't want you dead. Don't you see? I could have killed you by now. That little, um... Oh, that little demonstration back there with the uh, rogue humorous and those goons. That was just a bit of fun. I just am trying to gauge your abilities. See what kind of, um, use you can have for me. And, and of course, what use I can have for you. So I envision this to be a very 
equitable arrangement, far more equitable than your deal with the provost. Well, hold on now, said Vippo. What kind of deal? You're getting ahead of yourself. You're right. I was apologizing. I was apologizing, said the Marquis, for not having you over for a drink sooner. Let's back up to the beginning. You work for the Provost Ulrich. Yes, I know. You obtain, through various clever means, books for him. I know. These books are all quite valuable. But more than that, they contain certain clues, certain um, pieces of a very large puzzle. A puzzle that the Provost and I were trying to solve together until a few weeks ago when he decided rather abruptly to part ways with me. I'm afraid that we were not as much on the same page as uh, I was hoping we were, if you'll pardon the book metaphor. Well, now that you're done apologizing for not abducting us earlier, why don't you tell us what exactly it was you were working on with the provost? I suppose I shall, said Adas, swirling his drink. So Ulrich has not told you yet, has he? He hasn't actually explained what all these books are for. Um, well, said Gent, no, he, he hasn't. And you've asked, said the Marquis. Well, um, said Gent, yeah, we, uh, we did try and figure that out, but he's not telling us. Just keeps, um, pointing us towards more and more of them. You must find that awfully frustrating, said the Marquis. I am prepared to be a bit more forthright with you. However, I need certain things in return. I would like you to promise to do one very small thing for me. Uh, said Gent, well, I, I, may, uh, we're very curious, you know, what this is all about, but, um, I, I don't know what, what kind of, um, promises we can make. We're not gonna tell you shit, said Vimpo. I mean, yeah, we get it, you could kill us anytime. You haven't killed us already, which means you need us for something, which means we have the cards here, which means we're not telling you anything until you tell us something first. The Marquis looked at Vippo. Well, that's very astute of you. Very astute indeed. Yes, I do need your help. Well, I suppose need is a bit of a strong word. I have a lot of help. I could use your assistance. It would save quite a bit of time. He reached into a drawer on the desk. He pulled a thick leather book out, put it on the table. This is for your, uh, your efforts this evening. The Hermetica. Kind of a dry read. I mean, I wouldn't take it to the beach, but what can you do, right? Take it, it's yours. Gent looked at it suspiciously. Um, why, why are you just giving this to us? I would like you to continue doing what you're doing. I would like you to continue to obtain all of the texts for the provost. Everything he wants, he should have. I won't stand in your way. I will keep a wot on a short leash. He won't bother you. All right, said Vippo, and what's the catch? The Marquis grinned. The catch, my dear Vippo, is that when you've assembled all of Ulrich's texts, let me know. Let you know, she said. Yes, I'm afraid that's all there is to it. Just tell me when your mission is accomplished, 
and I will make you both very, very rich in doing so. Really? said Vippo. Like, how rich are we talking here? Richer than you could possibly imagine, said the Marquis. And then he looked around, looking at his glass room and back into his moss carpet. Well, I may have aided your imagination a bit too much this evening, but you'll be quite well off, I assure you. You'll never want for anything again. Your troubles will be behind you, I promise. Get and Vippo looked at each other. Can you put the pieces together? Can you see where this is all going? I mean, I think that this project has something to do very much like with the spire and, and you know, um, how it came to be. I mean, it's the only one of these things in all of Renoa. So, yeah, so that's all I got. Well, you're on the right track, said the Marquis. What you're not thinking about, though, Ghent, and I can't really blame you academics seldom do think of the practical applications. Consider this. What if we could figure out exactly what the spire is made out of, where it's from, how it came to be, all of these things? What could we do with that knowledge? Uh, you could probably learn how to manipulate it somehow. You could just move stuff around without the quiet folk, right? That's exactly right, said Adas, clapping his hands. If we could figure out exactly what the spire is made out of, how it works, why it is, it would totally break the stranglehold, not only of the quiet folk, but of the guilds as well. Imagine a spire free from the elevator guilds, the sewer guilds, the lenses and grinders guild, the quiet folk. Getting Vippo sat back in their chairs. That, that, that's what you're after, Sagan? This, this device, this machine, this is what you're trying to do? Of course, said Adas. Absolutely. I just want to make the Spire a better place, a more free and fair place. I just want to release us all from this oppression, this tyranny. Unfortunately, Ulrich suffered from a, well, how to explain it? It was a little bit too much of a disruption to the status quo for his liking. Uh, I'm afraid that his worldview wasn't quite flexible enough to accommodate this kind of uh, disruption, but I think this disruption is exactly what our city, what our country needs. I think things need to change here. Would you say that the way things work in the Spire is good? Is it right? Said the Marquis, looking directly at Ghent. Uh, said Ghent, uh, well, not exactly, no. I've, I've been pushed around by the guilds my you know, pretty much my whole life, and I, I... Vippo crossed her arms in front of her chest. Well, it sounds pretty good when you say it like that. But what do you care? Look around. Look at this ridiculous glass room you have here at the top of the spire. Your silly moss garden out there. Your waterfall. Your tame deer who I saw wandering around in here. What do you care about other people? You've got everything. Well, not everything, said the Marquis ruefully, looking back over his shoulder. One never has everything. Well... 
come now, he said, standing up. Vippo stood up with him. Ghent shakily rose to his feet, trying not to look down between his toes towards the ground. I believe I've kept you both long enough. The Marquis turned, walking back towards the door that led into the spire. Vippo stood and walked after him. Ghent slowly climbed to his feet, keeping one hand on the chair and then the desk, doing his best to not look towards the ground. But of course, of course he did look towards the ground. And for a moment, there's a break in the clouds and he could see the full extent of the spire, a mile of ivory cylinder reaching down towards the earth, which seemed to swallow it up. It gave him profound vertigo. No human being was ever meant to be this high off the ground. And his head swam for a moment till suddenly there was a firm hand on his shoulder. Come on, said Vippo. I really don't want you to have to clean up puke off the floor here. It'd be kind of awkward. She pushed him towards the door. He reached it finally after what seemed like an hour of walking across what must have been ten feet of glass. And he clung to the doorframe for a moment before they stumbled inside onto the Marquis's moss carpet. Back into that big room with the chandeliers and the waterfall and the deer frolicking. The deer, in fact, frolicked over towards the Marquis, who ran his hand idly over its fur, scratching its neck. I am so glad, he said, that we've had a moment to have this uh, little chat that you were able to join me here in my humble abode. The Marquis, from his pocket, drew out a small leather pouch and opened it. Within there were cherries gleaming ruby under the candlelight. He started feeding them to his tame deer one at a time, delicately popping them into the deer's mouth. I only want what is best for the spire. You and I, the three of us, and of course Wot over there, the four of us, we could change everything around here, the whole spire, completely from the ground up. No one under the yoke of the guilds, and ah! The deer had bitten his finger. The Marquis looked down, and he could see blood pooling now around the cherries. He looked up at Ghent and Vippo and smiled almost apologetically. And if you don't choose to help me, I understand. He tossed the cherries idly across the room. The deer frolicked after them. Not everyone can be on the right side of history, said the Marquis, walking across the room. He walked over to Wote and whispered something in his ear. Wilt went over to a cabinet and unlocked it. The Marquis turned back to Gent and Vippo. The decision is entirely in your hands, and I trust you. I trust you completely because... And he looked both of them dead in the eye. I think you're smart. I think you're smart enough to know the winning team when you see it. The provost is a grubby, fat little man squatting in his office over his texts. He can't stand in the way of what's coming. Wote opened the cabinet he was fiddling with and pulled out of it a crossbow. He walked over to the Marquis and handed it to him. The Marquis took the crossbow lovingly in his hands. I would be a very poor enemy to make, though. He hefted the crossbow and brought it to his shoulder. So consider that as you make your decision. 
and he shot the deer through the heart. The animal collapsed on the ground, gurgling, blood frothing out of its mouth. The Marquis looked at them and smiled. Well, I know I've given you an awful lot to think about this evening. You must be very tired. The decision is yours. Next time on Spire. is performed by Aaron Goldbeck, produced and directed by Mark Holscher, music by Kevin McLeod, and artwork by Elizabeth Early.